plus minus. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit there. <laughs> plus minus. Curry driving again. Tell Marcus that he asked you know, that question about my defense. You hear that, Marcus? Anthony, you know me well, buddy. Y'all have a great night. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to a new edition of the Warriors Plus Minus. I got my guys with me, Tim Kawakami, Anthony Slater. We kind of represent the rainy mood. Uh, it's we, we're we're a bit we might be a bit groggy and gloomy today. You know, we all we, we all went <laughs> wow. we all went to last night's game, and we all are up early to give you what you need. Uh, but you know, so Anthony is over here on Zoom, looking like he uh, just woke up. I just woke up. I actually did just woke up. I've been up since four thirty, but. I'm feeling whooped right now. I'm feeling like uh, I need to take a couple games off after a nine and one start. This feels like we're talking about like a five and five. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. not too good, Beat down. not too bad. Kind Beat of sounds down. like Beat down. last year's Absolutely. team. Remember that when they just never <laughs> went two games over or two games below five hundred for the entire season, almost. What were they at ten games? I just looked this up for a column I'm writing in a little bit. I assume five and five, six and oh, four. Okay. And they lose two to get to six and six. Yeah, they, at like 25 different points last season, had a 500 record. It was a safe bet that you could say 500, they'd be be there. Let's inject some energy into this. Let's represent the hype that we witnessed last night from one of the one of the bigger moments at Chase. It's young, it's new, but it was a significant moment. I think it was the best game at Chase. I think it was the Warriors' best game at Chase. It I was, you know, that. we just absolutely have to talk about the big, the big part of the night, the big moment, which was uh, Andrew Wiggins' thirteen points on twelve shots. I knew, I knew, I knew it was. I thought you were going to say something else, but yeah, Andrew yeah, Wiggins, uh, man, Andrew Wiggins. what's going on with Wiggins? No. <laughs> carrying the team, carrying the team on his shoulders, Andrew Wiggins. I mean, I, hey, they're they're 9-1 and one and playing great. They've had an easy schedule, but that was a game that meant something, I think. I think, you know, Hawks aren't playing great right now. They've had a tougher schedule, though, but they're 4-7, and seven, lost their fourth straight. But they're a good team. They're talented. They can, you know, we saw what they could do to the Warriors in the first half, just kind of spread them out. Got a couple playmakers, got shooters everywhere. John Collins is a problem. He's a problem for the Hawks, who got one shot the second half, like. How can they not get him the ball? I don't understand this. They got interesting things going on there. You know, I think, well, we don't need to talk about the Hawks, but uh, it's just funny that the Warriors did to the Hawks what everyone usually does to the Warriors with Steph. Like you just, you know, you jump him and you you speed them up and you make players who don't necessarily, you know, are good at making plays to make plays. The Warriors did that to them by doing I didn't even notice the boxer one you know, they talked <laughs> about afterwards. Funny. I didn't even really notice it because I just thought they were trapped. I just thought they were trapping Trey, right? I just thought that's a trap. But clearly, they were zoning behind GP2 most of the time uh, with Trey, which is what they've seen teams do to Steph, basically. They just started aggressively blitzing a lot more in the second yeah, half. They didn't, that's, what I, that's what I thought. They, didn't, that's what I thought they didn't change the game with the boxing one. They changed the game with just like blitzing, trapping Trey, getting it out of his hands, doing really what they did to Lillard for years, right? This is knowing that 
Trey Young, like Lillard, like James Harden, gets off the ball and kind of stands around, uh, and it's a weakness. And I think you know Trey Young a little bit in his post game comments last night was directing some of his veiled criticism at his teammates for not being, being like a Draymond Green, yeah. like an Andre Iguodala. But it's like Trey, you're not like Steph either, <laughs> you know. Like you, you know you. But anyway, they did implement the box and one in the like mid fourth when they already had you know created the big lead and i think part of that was like kind of pissed trey young off with gary payton you see the way gary payton was like happily playing irritant picking him up full court touching him like keeping his hands on him and trey's knocking it off yeah he's the funniest moment of that was gary payton fouled out by the way six fouls in like 21 minutes and even after he fouled out he was he fouls Trey Young. Stayed on the court. And he stayed <laughs> on the court, and he was like, you know, kind of pressing up on Trey Young. I think Trey Young was sitting there like, dude, you're not, you're not even eligible to play anymore. <laughs> he was still yeah, trying man. to guard him. I'm still guarding you. I'm still guarding you. That's so funny. I was watching the replay, and he got one foul, uh, and, and they called one foul on him, and you could just hear Gary scream, I didn't touch him. It was like super, I didn't hear that live, but on TV it came through. I was like, he just he screamed really, he's like loud. I didn't touch him. I was like, he's got a little dream on him already. That's not terrible. That's not terrible. They keep finding different ways to like utilize his skills. You know, Two games ago, we were talking about him as a diver and a roller and how they're using him offensively. We've talked about the way they've used him as a defensive specialist late in quarters and now it's like well this was to me the first time we've really seen him like take a guy specifically and being used to kind of take a guy out of a game not that it was like completely one-on-one stuff we talked about the boxing ones and the traps but but using him as like kind of the head of that plan I don't know it's interesting because literally I mean you guys know a month ago we were talking about him or Avery Bradley and and the fact that they cut him and had him vulnerable to to the rest of the league and now like, where is he in their rotational pecking order? Like, sixth or seventh? Like, it's like the 15th man anymore. I'm thinking a lot now. I'm beginning to think a little bit about, like, when Wiseman and, then of course, Clay comes back. And what do you do with the rotation? You're keeping GP2 in the rotation. I think you are. You know, it gets a little interesting to figure out who you're taking out of the rotation. But I don't think you're taking him out. Not with this stuff. Especially not knowing if Clay can, you know, bring the defensive energy. And, and again, we don't even know when that's going to be. I think it's going to be past Christmas. They keep hyping up Christmas around there. I think it's going to be a little bit past just to be safe. Whenever it is, guys are going to lose minutes. But I don't think Gary Payton II is going to be one of them. Uh, or, you know, he's still going to have a role on this team. You notice the tip-outs last night? He was, like, getting uh, you know under the offensive just glass. Just jumping real high and yeah. just swiping yeah. it. Yeah. He's a good yeah. offensive and, I mean, rebounder but, overall, even yep. grabbing Just because he's got inc- – he could obviously, he's got incredible uh, vertical, but he's also incredible hand-eye coordination. Like, that's how the dunks happen, and that's how he hits the ball every single time and when he jumps for those, for those tip-outs. He's a really interesting player for them. And, you know, Kerr was talking the other day about how it's not that he's changed as a player. It's just that the roster's changed around him and he can allow them to do different things, which I agree. But also, I think he's just really refined at what he can do. He knows exactly what he can do, where he can help the team. It's, it is Draymond-like. Like, he just knows exactly how he can help the team. And then you put him on the floor with, with Andre and maybe with with Draymond. That's a good. That's a really good defensive team. I don't think this is a this is a defensive team as good as it has been in the past. I don't, and, or even maybe at, at its ranking. Although you look at those stats, they are number one in defense by far. It's not even close. Yeah, but let I, it play yeah, out think, though. Let yeah, it. let's play it out again. Yeah, that's. I think that's more statistical noise than most things. But when you put those three guys on the floor together. And maybe even Looney, you know, you got some interesting things to throw at offenses. No, no. That foursome sounds like quite a floor crunch offensively. <laughs> and, yes, 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 yes. But you know what? 
it's sometimes you do it for four minutes, see what happens. It throws the other team, you know, like a good offensive team like Atlanta, throws them in a little bit of a funk. And then you bring back Jordan Poole, and then you, you score some more points. Yeah, we're including Bielitsa as a center. I think that's fine because Bielitsa is a floor spreader, but I don't not like him out there with Looney. Is is essentially what I'm saying. Particularly if it's Looney and Draymond, because Draymond is kind of a center. Everyone we dealt with this with Pascal last year, right? It's like everyone's a center at this point. But when we talk about like him, you know, will he stay in the rotation when the reinforcements come back? I think Clay is more of a risk for like Damian Lee for Jordan Poole's minutes. I think Wiseman's the one. Whose minutes does he take? I think right now we're talking Looney, Bielitsa, or Peyton. Like, who does he bump? JTA. Well, JTA is, like, almost on the fringes already. But, yeah, I mean, JTA might get buried at that point. I got in trouble for saying that last season. I got in trouble for saying that last season. Well, he's kind of been somewhat buried (laughs) early this season. But I just think that if Wiseman can show some stuff early in his, you know, this, like, let's say in his first 10 games, I think Looney's the candidate right now, to be honest with you. It's the, certainly the one that makes the most sense, but we know Steve Kerr. Is he going to not have Kevon Looney start halves? He's absolutely going to have Kevon Looney start So halves. then is it Bielitsa or is it Peyton? And as the... It's not going to be Bielitsa. Uh, they're going to figure out a way to manage the minutes. They'll probably cut down Looney's minutes. But, I mean, that is the most logical. If you just go Wiseman for Looney, that makes sense. But Steve Kerr is going to start Kevon Looney. He just is. And in the man, playoff I don't games, know if he's going to have a choice, yeah. man. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're we're presuming good Wiseman here too. I mean, there's going to be some games where he's not good, and and you're going to go, why the hell? Let's just let's get the stable Kevon Looney out there. What are you doing? It's a negative six when he's out there with Steph. You're ruining the Steph minutes. Like all the things that that we said last season. And believe me, Steve Kerr was you know knows all those numbers. So we'll see. But that is the most logical switch. It is absolutely the most logical switch. It's Wiseman for Looney. I just don't think it's going to happen. Certainly not right away. I just think Wiseman needs to win and win those minutes. But if he does, I think they're ready to be won. I think what was interesting about Trey's comments is uh, the way he was talking, and even Nate McMillan, he was like, "Man, they're they're just so wired and they're so used to like what to do when Steph is trapped. Like everybody knows what to go." And I'm like. Not really. Like this is kind of new. Like it wasn't like this last yeah. year. Were you watching last year? Watching I was like, you know, year? but it, it's yeah. it is kind of a testament to how fast they've picked it up, right? Like, and at this point last year, everybody was talking about you know Uber. Can you like look put, like get out the way when Steph cuts to the quarter, right? Like, or you know Kent Bazemore, can you just give up the ball, right? It, it was those conversations, and now ten games in. You got Trey basically like deriding his teammates. Like, yo, can you be like that? Like the movement and the passing. Eastern Conference finalists, by the way. Eastern Conference, who really could have been one that, you know, it could have beat. There was a moment I thought they were going to be the finalists when Giannis went down. But it's a testament to how quickly some of these newer players have picked it up. But, I mean, to me, it's also a testament to a front office recorrection on the roster this summer. I mean, like, they went and identified guys that would fit with Steve Kerr. And Andre. I mean, again, you know, maybe we can overemphasize Andre. There's some limits to what he can do now. But, man, it's just mentally for them, it's so important. You know, little things get a little shaky. Here comes Andre in. Things calm down. Steph and Draymond feel 100% comfortable like Marcus when you're asking Steph about it last night and he's you know I just kind of feel things like he's feeling things out there with those guys I felt somebody on my left side and then I saw it was Draymond I get a Draymond boom alley-oop to, to Andre and it feels like a blast from the past that's important for these guys like just to feel that and they obviously did not feel that with a bunch of the guys from last season you know that's why they went and signed I mean their three veteran minimum signings are you know Porter Bielita 
Iguodala. Those are three guys that we can definitely see now fit exactly this type of style they're trying to play. Understandably, a lot of the issues last year get pinned on Ubre, pinned on Baysmore, but I think Wiseman was, you know, right up there with, you know, at least rookie Wiseman. And, and to me, that's such a test when he gets back. You know, they talk about this being a much safer environment to put Wiseman back in because of the spacing you're seeing with Peyton. Well, Wiseman should, you know, take advantage of that. But Wiseman needs to think the game quicker. And they've talked about being behind the scenes, you know, working with them on that. But that, to me, is like the first five-game test. Does it look like he's thinking the game a little bit quicker? I think part of that, too, is giving him far less to think about. It needs to be simple. <laughs> Not <laughs> the Andrew Bogut DHOs? It, nah, it needs to be simple like it is for Looney. We're going to drive. You're going to be open. Catch the ball. Go up with it. Try not to pump fake seven times first. Like, it can't be this complicated. If they do that, if they start trying to, if, you know, obviously he's going to, like, have those moments where he gets the rebound and he's going to want to go and do his little highlight. But they got to cut out those 29-footers. They got they can't post them up on some ISO tip. Yeah, go to the yeah, post. Like, Isolation. Isolation. simple yeah. for him. Pick and pop, pick and roll, dive. That's it. Like, if he can't follow along doing those things, then they, they've got a real problem. I think that that's what they're planning to do, and I think he sh- that should be fine. I, I think you're going to see a lot less mid-post ISOs or like, you know, where he's wandering around the court looking for people to screen. He doesn't know what's going on. The problem is, you know, you mentioned the Looney role. Well, the, like Looney does a lot of subtle things offensively that are very like Steph-related, you know, and it's it's random action. It's, oh, you know, I, I sense the Steph pinned down. I sense his defender's missing. I'm setting a little screen over here. That's the stuff that wa- they, they need to hope Wiseman picked up a little bit because how many possessions do they have that break down in the middle and then they just keep running this random action and eventually it leads to a step three that's the stuff that's kind of instinctual that i mean i think we all know like wiseman's not going to be there with that type of stuff no and, and that's why they're going to lean to keeping looney in for a lot of those minutes but we'll see you know you know and, just and say it you love the other, looney. Yeah. Just go ahead and say it like <laughs> the looney. on one hand like, you kill him he Marcus can't is, be on the court the other Marcus, hand of course he's starting Marcus is turning to be during the game. Like, he's just, Looney's just not pump faking. I'm thinking, I don't know. Is that a pump fake or is that somebody really moving slowly? And people think it's a pump fake because that's how slow Looney is. Slater is right, though. It's the GP2 action. If Wiseman just does that at seven feet tall instead of six foot three, think of what that, you know, could be possible. And he can do some other things. And he could take the rebound and go dribble it up court. I think they do like that about him. I mean, you know, you might think it's a turnover waiting to happen, but they like that about him. He's so athletic. He challenges defenses and, you know, in, in a way that they don't have from someone else. It does tell you about what else is achievable for this team, right? They're 9-1, and one, huge point differential, great peripheral stats. Everything's going well, obviously with a pretty easy schedule. And they've got Wiseman coming back, and they've got Clay back. And I will say I talked to a... Warriors person last night and said, "Well, what? You're kind of joking. Like, what are you gonna do with the rotation when you get Wiseman and Clay back?" And this person said, "I have no idea because they they got so many players right now. What they're playing eleven pretty regularly. Sometimes twelve when when Moody plays. Yeah, they have two lottery rookies. They can't even get on the floor right now. Kaminga got three minutes last night. I was like, whoa, he's he's yeah, out I know. He's a wow, Kaminga play. Yeah, this this is that's just good for a team, obviously." You know, you know, we know there's going to be injuries. They've got some injury-prone players, Porter, somebody. You know, they got to take real be careful with and Iguodala and some others. So some of it will solve itself. But you know, I'm thinking like either this is a super deep team. You just kind of send them in platoons during different games, or you can go a three for one. Right? There's a three for one possibility 
for this team if they want to make a deal. Although, I don't know. If, if you were making a trade right now, if you're going to say... When you say three okay, for one, yes. are you talking about like packaging the rookies? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying you could. Or you could package... Yeah, man, I mean, that's who you would have to trade because you're not training guys on one-year deals. But even if you could, would you really? Would you really do that right now? Well, it depends, depends on who you are and what your priorities are. Are you... I don't know. I mean, you're moving Wiggins. For example, you're moving are you and Wiggins, a power yeah. forward who's you know has two years left on his deal and uh, very much is obsessed with winning a title in the next two seasons? Yeah, you might want to do that if if you are the owner of uh, the Warriors, if you care about the next decade and and the bridge to the future, you might not. Um, and you know, it again, I think we all know like Kaminga and Wiseman aren't leaving out the door unless like a top. 10 talent is available basically and even then you know i mean again i'm not trying to overplay the 9-1 start but that really makes it more and more unlikely it's just going to be a jammed roster though it's going to be a jammed roster that's a good thing you know from days when it was not but they're going to have some interesting moments trying to figure out how to get these guys playing and not just kaminga and moody we're talking about you know gary payton as we said gary payton kavon looney james wiseman JTA, like Damian Lee. Yeah, there's going to be guys who you're like, I don't know where they're going to play just because these other guys have to play some minutes. You know, and again, it'll sort itself out, I'm sure. But this is the first time I've really thought in a while, like, I don't know what they're going to do with the rotation. Like, people are asking me, and I don't know. And I ask Warriors people, and they don't know. Again, it'll settle out, but they got like 12, 13 really playable players. And that is really good and sometimes can be a headache. You think it's a little bit better than when Michael Mulder was part of their eight-man rotation? Absolutely. Had and eight Pascal, Pascal was their second unit Nico Mannion was yeah. the backup player. Nico Mannion. Yeah, Mannion. Smiley Geach was healthy and available, but they wouldn't play him in the eight-man rotation. And yes, we all just kept yes. talking about him like, man, they don't have bodies. It's just an eight-man rotation. It's like, well, technically, yep. like Smiley Geach could play. <laughs> And they treated him like he was a vacant roster spot, uh, which he basically was. What is Smiley Geach doing, Slayer? You, you following him? Uh, I've seen now? some like stat lines, a couple good ones, a couple bad ones over, and I believe he's in like the Serbian League. So good for him. We will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. We got to talk about this um, defense. Second half, the Hawks totaled 48 points. 13 came after... The white flag, right? They subbed out everybody. No, no. I'm sorry. 17 came after the white flag. So we're looking at 31 <laughs> second half points like that count. Trey Young, seven points. John Collins, one. It, it was like a switch flipped. Uh, and and we, we're, we're talking about the depth. I think this is where having all these guys matter, right? It helps because you could just... You could keep rotating these guys out, and they're all kind of buying into the scheme. But we're going to keep asking this question all year, obviously. But, like, how good is this defense? What's for real? The first half, this looked like a game where we'd be like, see, they're not that for real, right? Here's the example of how the numbers are a little bit juiced. But then they go and completely shut down the team, right? They go and completely end all of that. And all the stuff that looked easy became hard. How much of that is the Hawks? falling apart, bad ski, whatever. And how much of it is like, yo, this is what this team does. And this is a lot like the dynasty team too, where they wouldn't look good, but whenever they just flip that switch and it's like, all right, let's kick it into gear. They would be a problem for teams. 
I think they're pretty good defensively. I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to say I don't think they're great defensively. And let's see how this stands up on the road in Brooklyn, on, you know, on the road against some, some good teams, just on the road against anybody. They really haven't had many road games, but they can throw stuff at you. I mean, they can absolutely throw stuff at you. They can mess you up. They're going to make teams think it through when they didn't do it the last two seasons. Like they're going to make the, okay, Trey Young's going to, they're going to do this. Now Atlanta has to figure out something to do with Bogdanovich or something. They have to figure something out. I don't know if it's the level of a team that can just go into Houston and, and wipe them out in game seven. It's not there, but they've got the things they can throw at you. And this is by the way. Yeah. Remember all we did was talk about offense, offense, offense. They went for offense, be elites offense, starting Jordan pool offense, auto Porter, mainly offense. And yet they're figuring out a ways to junk up teams. And Draymond is, I don't want to be a homer here, but is Draymond the leading candidate for defensive he player? He says he right is. Now? He you said know? he was I mean, the other day. It's him or Gobert yeah. again, you know. Yeah, like, so. yeah, yeah. And they might get tired. They might get tired of giving to Gobert and, and give it to somebody else. And Giannis always His is defensive numbers are crazy. Draymond? Draymond is playing like three different guys. And, 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 and this is how you become a really good reliable consistent defensive team is when you have two or three guys who are just at the peak of their defensive prowess and, and, and Draymond and Andre is another one and I didn't think Andre had it in him but Andre's playing really great defense just switching everything moving getting his hands on stuff guys flying through the lane and he's whacking the ball away I don't think they're great I think they're really good though we talk so much about like the the brain side of the offense and and the upgrades really you know from from you know the Ubre Bazemore situation to 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 Bielitsa, Porter, you know, Iguodala, all that. But I think we underrated what that would give defensively. You know, they did obviously lower the athleticism level, although Gary Payton's infusion is very helpful to the defense on that side. But they're just a, seem to be a much smarter defense. Uh, you know, they've turned over defensive control to Mike Brown. Mike and Dra- Brown, yep. Mike Brown, podcast, podcast friend of yes, all, yes. all 82. And, you know, Draymond Green has talked about how much he loves what Mike has done behind the scenes, like kind of making it a competitive environment, challenging Jordan Poole, who's actually played pretty good defense lately. Steph Curry, you know, head, head of the snake, Steph Curry. Maybe Marcus could get into Steph's defense. But I just think... Poor Kevin Herter. The Poor way Herter. the way they're... The way Mike and, you know, last night it was DeMarco with Mike, Chris DeMarco with Mike out, but the way they're scheming up and then also the way that they're they're... Improved personnel can absorb the schemes and implement it on the court. Is it's just better than last year? And I had, like you know there were some fun defensive moments with Kelly Oubre when he was slapping away steals, first down signings, and you know Bazemore was kind of you know guarding people full court. There was some you know use for that, but I think we're seeing now like they can just execute a scheme without fouling like crazy much better. We'll see how that plays against better offenses, but it looks good right now. I don't know if it's necessarily better offices. It we'll see how it plays when there's multiple playmakers. They're really good when they know where the guy's gonna be, right? And then you got like tough guys, like strong guys. Like Juan's really good on the perimeter, right? Like he can body you. But if if you got two guys, three guys who could create off the dribble, who could just make stuff happen. That's where I wonder how they'll be. Fortunately for them, there's not that many teams who have two or three guys, right? So it's a very limited scope of a problem. But Brooklyn coming up. Exactly, yeah. When that third guy, when Jordan Poole is placed on a guy who could just go, 
right now, like Jordan Poole or Steph, they end up having to guard guys who are going to spot up or who need somebody to create. And they do a really good job of denying the switch and everything really helps with that. Like you said, they got a lot of smart players. The, the, the kryptonite is that. Even Brooklyn doesn't have that, right? Brooklyn's got James and, 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 and KD. Well, they do have another guy. Yeah, who, he's uh, not there. But, yeah, you could, you figure Wiggins and Draymond, right? And you kind of live with it. And now you got Steph and Jordan Poole on guys who you can, like, touch and help with. So, to me, the only team that I thought would be more of a problem was Charlotte. But they handled them fairly Simply like the it was Charlotte just had like an zero and five something like that yeah they, uh, West Coast week they got rough, blown out yeah. in Sacramento I yeah, don't know. yeah. well just, that's why again I I thought they would be a great home team is because I didn't think you know I didn't know this defense was going to show up like this statistically but when they get going offensively it it does get to the other team like they just you saw it last night and oh like, it know, rattles them, boom yeah. boom boom and yeah, the and then the Hawks are like Jesus what are we doing here. And it rattles him offensively. And then Steph gets going. He takes the ball away from Herder. You know, he, all those things happen. The crowd was Almost really as good Almost as much as Steph, though, is the other guys, right? Like, Juan hit threes. Is, it just destroys you. Damian hit a couple of huge threes. Like, 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 this just it tilts the floor. And we've seen that. And this is what you can do at home when you've got a good home court advantage and when you've got 30 and you've got other guys you can play with them. It just it, it that offensive explosion. And I'm just talking about the tilts the floor on the other side just because they just feel like they're running uphill against the Warriors constantly. They get two, Warriors get three. They miss a shot, Warriors get three. They miss turnover, Warriors get two. And all of a sudden it's ain't nothing. And, you know, everything's going crazy. Call timeout and the fans are going crazy. Steph talked about about a little bit about it last night. Like you know, they really want the Chase Center crowd to become a factor. They feel like it's happening. I you notice how he paused night. before calling oh, yeah, no, Oracle, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is not yet. You can't. You he's can't like hold on, Oracle. basically hold on. You cannot hold on. get married to Oracle, and he's not going to. And it's not a fair means, comparison. No, no wow. it's, you can't do it. And by the way, what if Steph was on We Believe? Like you wouldn't even. Like even the, the the greatest parts of the dynasty, the atmosphere didn't compare to We Believe, but. That's a whole other side. I, that's where I stopped it. I go, yeah, you can't even compare Oracle to We Believe Oracle. But Chase Center's getting something. Like, that was a good game. That was a good environment. And Steph's saying, like, opponent, opponent players are saying how, you know, they felt comfortable there the last two seasons. Clearly, pandemic was a big part of it. But even when fans were there, so what? You're playing the Warriors who are, you know, going to win 22 games or whatever the hell they were doing that first year, Chase. Who cares? Now, they feel it. It's obviously led by Steph. It's led by Draymond. There's a lot of things going on, but they're feeling it at Chase, and that's pretty important, at least for the Warriors to feel that. Like, they feel like, yeah, this is our place. Steph was, like, conducting it last night. He was, like, egging the fans on. Would you he call was, him a, a, a maestro? Uh, who who called him that? I, I didn't call him that. but uh, I did. Uh, he, I said, okay. would you call him a maestro? <laughs> what would you call him? Well, you're quoting yourself. Way to go. <laughs> who did that writer what did that writer he's not just him? quoting himself look he's got his book right there and <laughs> oh the book's there oh, this, this is yeah, this pro, you, it shout it out time, go ahead he's a professional professional here you know why last night was big and you know Steph scored 62 in an empty gym right but the reason that hurts is because these these like crowds these kind of atmospheres are really built in these moments right it's, it's, it's something has to happen last night was a happening right that's why it was important for him to get 50 it's memorable right you know nobody's gonna say remember that's how i stuff dropped 48 like nah it's 50 and 10 right like so 
that's Chase needs to build those. They need to get, you know, kind of develop those. And and one obvious major moment. one is still coming. Playoff, play, play well, before moment. that, one major one is coming, right? Like when Clay steps on the court, that's going yeah, to be yeah. a moment, no, right? No they got to create their own thing. Yeah, Durant coming back might be pretty cool too. I agree. Like the the crowds have been good, especially you know it's, it's they're clearly engaged during like runs, which is when the crowds need to be at their best. But one thing I haven't, I don't want to say maybe liked or not liked, but I grew up you know watching the Miami Heat a lot. I was a Heat fan, and their crowd was kind of known as like late arriving, and at halftime they would leave their seats and not get back to like mid third quarter. Remember they got locked out. Remember they got locked out. Uh, yeah, some game that came back and a bunch of people was at the door. Like Let that was the Ray <laughs> Allen shot game, which is funny. But but beyond that, like they would start these Heat TNT games. I used to watch again. I love the like du- mid Dwayne Wade Heat like earlier in his career, and they would start the game on TNT, and you'd be like, there's, there's like nobody in the arena. And then you know by like late first quarter, mid second quarter, like it's going, it's flowing, people are going crazy. And then the third quarter would start to be the same. You see like four people in seats essentially. And I look, I don't know how the Warriors can fix it. I think a lot of the issue is they created all these entertainment areas of the arena those suites are nice buddy yeah well how many times do you see do you the see joe lake and joe lake and nicole or joe and bob just sitting by themselves in the first row to start the third quarter like that is that is there that happens and in these moneyed you know mass and they're, they're they're serving really good you know crab claws right they're gonna stay in there i mean i'm gonna be honest with you like there's been a couple games where i'm like i'll watch the first media time out in the media room with this ice cream that they're giving us or whatever oh yeah it's they, been noticed people like, went it's been noticed. nuts for it's it last night like <laughs> it was like it was like you've never had you never had an ice cream truck in your neighborhood people were going crazy Media food, uh, a little re- re- review here because it's been good. It's been good in there. I like, mean, it's cool, it's but people good. were like, "Oh my god, it's it!" I'm like, <laughs> I mean, okay, it's it's it, but my goodness, <laughs> you know what I was going crazy for in that media room? You know that whatever that, that pumpkin ravioli thing uh, first. Oh game yeah, you love the uh, oh my squash. god, no squash squash ravioli. It was, it was really good. More of that, please. More of that. They really can't help it with the bunker suites. Sometimes the bunker suites are empty for half and you're like well they're probably down there in their suite watching the whole game um again i don't think it's correctable but it's just something that's doesn't look great that's all no they should have seat fillers for for those people like get people in there who are going to sit there for half the first quarter and half the third quarter but so it goes you know what looks great jordan Poole. (laughs) come on those drives and oh, he's important. He's important. Are, he's important. Are no clutch. I was. I actually. I actually thought he had a better night shooting. He's minus twelve and sixteen points on seventeen shots. Definitely not efficient. But yeah, looking at that, I was like, wow, he kind of struggled. But some of those dry, like he's learning that first step, and then he's to the hole, and the shot is up. I mean, one of them was on Capella too. Like he just beat Capella off the dribble. And that's not a guy who gets beat off the dribble. He's so long. He's such a great shot blocker. And that, no, those are important points. Those are get points, right? Like, not like created points. Those are just Jordan Poole goes gets them. And they need them. And, you know, Kerr mentioned, and I'm going to write about it later today, like they're really good at the rim right now, which certainly hasn't been the case. It's hard to find the exact stats. Slater and I couldn't exactly find them. NBA.com only gives five feet and in, which is not rim points, which is not what Kerr was citing to me. But I'll still throw a few of them up there, and Poole is really good at it. Like, he's getting to the rim. Obviously, GP2 gets to the rim. Steph gets around the rim. I don't know if they call them those shots at the rim, but 
Like they need those twos. If you're going to get spread out, and you know, the defense is going to be scrambling after Bielitsa and Porter and Steph, obviously Clay when he's out there, you need to get to the rim. And you know we still saw Andre had three dunks, but also giving up passes, you know, giving up shots at the rim. Draymond gives up shots at the rim. They need guys who can finish some of those, and they're there. They're absolutely there. Jordan Poole's last four games, 24.5 points on average on 52-43-100 shooting splits. They're plus 50 in those games with him on the floor. Obviously, last night was the Steph show, and to me it was the second game this season that Steph Curry's individual greatness won them a game, the Clipper game and the home opener in that one. But there's been several games this season where if you if you take that Steph performance and put it in last season, it's just a loss. Steph got sick, you know, and it was not COVID-related, but he felt bad kind of earlier middle of this homestand, and he did not play well for like three straight games, and the Warriors won every game because, well, because they were playing terrible teams, but also because Jordan Poole, was Steph, essentially. So much to the point that I know the Warriors behind the scenes were kind of trying to pump Jordan Poole for Player of the Week. Paul George won it for the West, but Jordan Poole almost won West Player of the Week. I think he was among like the top like five, six candidates that the NBA was looking at. You know, especially because look, you had the end of last season that, that created such momentum over the summer, and then you had the preseason explosion where, you know, we're on the podcast going, uh-oh, this is like, could be really real, most improved type stuff. And then there was the early season slump, and you wanted to know how he'd respond to it. And the response has been forceful to the point that all of his bad stats early in the season, he's now completely stabilized with a hot streak. And 10 games in, it, it looks like a pretty good stat line. What's important is he's keep, he keeps taking them. And as we've said over and over, we've seen guys who just can't put the ball up after they miss one, uh, especially when they're on the floor with Steph or Clay or Draymond. You know, they're just looking at these guys who've, who've come so much and they just don't want to shoot anymore. Even when he was shooting 21% or whatever the hell it was his rookie season, he was still put up the ball. And now we're shooting a much better percentage. And he's got he's, he's put the shot up. And Steph and Draymond are happy for him. They'll try to set him up. In fact, I think Steph might have been deferring to Jordan a little bit too much. Uh, maybe when Steph was sick, you, it's, it becomes more logical that he would be giving up shots or not trying to create as much and trying to get pulled the shots because Steph just didn't have the energy to beat the double team. I think that's where it really gets him. Like when he's not feeling great and he's getting double team, those are turnovers because they're tough. They're really hard. You get two, you know, six foot five guys with long arms and other guys playing the passing lanes. That's when you see Steph make some of those errors, especially when he's not feeling great. When he's feeling good, you get what you saw last night. And then Jordan Poole can just be a great complement to that. And when Steph comes off the floor, Jordan Poole can lead that offense. They were not good in those minutes last last night, but that's okay. And just to have that other option. And then, then again, you know, like we keep saying, when like the Warriors keep saying, and then you add Clay to it, and Jordan Poole's the third of that. That becomes how this adds and adds and adds. And like, what's he gonna what's he gonna play when Clay's healthy, Slater? What twenty two minutes? 24 minutes maybe max i think it's one of those situations where kerr can be very selective on any given night and he's doing it now there's times where look jordan Poole's not that great tonight he's not closing right early in the season he was struggling on an almost nightly basis for about four or five straight games and damian lee was closing for four or five straight games then he got hot and and suddenly his minutes went up to 30 and he was typically closing and i think with a streaky shooter like him and, and with the fact that look we know clay's not gonna step back into 35 minutes every night 
is Jordan Poole hot tonight? You know that within the first like six minutes of Jordan Poole's night, essentially. And it's like, is this a 30 minute pool night or is this an 18 minute pool night? Maybe that, you know, combines to average around 22, 23 in, in games that Clay plays. But it's a little like Utah does with Jordan Clarkson, right? Jordan Clarkson has struggled early this season, but Jordan Clarkson went, they were in Atlanta, Utah was, and Jordan Clarkson got super hot. And then Jordan Clarkson played 30 minutes, scored 30 points, won them the game. I think that's somewhat of the role that, you know, Poole in year three on a good team kind of profiles more as a a big-time six-man scorer, even though what will be interesting, and we can get into this, and Andre definitely got into it on the podium the other day, is like, how does he mentally handle it's not a demotion because we all know look it's clay thompson i think he knows he shoots out with clay every day he's very aware but it's still kind of a lessening of a role for a guy that feels like he's emerging into something bigger and i mean he's right he is emerging into a much better player than we all thought and like you know usually on that trajectory you are only going up minutes shots opportunities and he's that's going to be taken away from him and we know his personality you know he's not like i'm just curious how he handles that yeah, and you know, I think they're going to hope for he just has one, you know, has a big open the second quarter, open the fourth quarter, you know, once a week. And so everyone's talking about Jordan Poole because he's just scored 26 points in 22 minutes. And then some nights he's going to score 12 points in 18 minutes. It's just going to be one of those things probably. Again, it's it's a ways down the road. It's dependent on Clay coming back at full speed. But... Lou Williams. Lou Williams has gotten a lot of accolades through his career. You know, he's he's been talked about. Like, he plays for the Hawks. I don't know why he's not playing. Maybe there's something going on. He there, like but, already announced yeah. he's like retiring after the season. I think he's yeah. a little bit cooked. Yeah, yeah. And so, but he's had a nice, long, and storied career. And I think Jordan Poole probably you know wants more than that. But it's not a terrible place to be when you're 21 years old, 22 years old on this team people talk about those players how much do people still talk about Barbosa right I mean and he's probably better than Barbosa and he's still you know very very well regarded certainly in this franchise and certainly around the league that kind of player again he aspires to more than that we know that and he probably can be better than that uh, for a long period but when you are a key piece in a very very complimentary but but at times showy way that's really important on a good team. And again, this 901 start just puts all those things in like what's what's he gonna do? Complain when they're 17 and four? You know? I mean that that's that's how this all gets explained. It's how all this fits. You know, if Wiseman comes back and he barely plays, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna pout when they're twenty-two and six? You know, like these are things that get, you know, reasoned out as the games progress. And when you win that's all fine. I think when you lose, then everyone's like, oh, wait a minute. What the? Like even Steph with the new rotation, like he clearly doesn't like it. But like, while well, we're winning, like we're winning. Like what, what, what am I going to say? We're winning. And look, we're that way too, where if the Warriors lose yesterday to the Hawks, I'm writing about the issues in the loss. They win. I'm not, I'm not going to write about the first half, like, you know, Kevon Looney switching out onto Trey Young and some of the schemes that didn't work in the first half because they won. And like, that's not really the story. Here's a question for you. I got a question. Like, what is Kerr's reasoning? Like, why do you think he really is changing up Steph's rotation when clearly Steph doesn't love it, but Steph will do it? What is Kerr trying to achieve with this? I think it started as them trying to get Steph's minutes down to 33, 34. And, and trying to creatively, you know, pick and choose. They started in Oklahoma City. You know, along with that, it's also trying to get these back end in the rotation guys a little bit more minutes. He put Chioza in in Oklahoma City. After the game, just basically said, look, it's just to get him to 
to three extra minutes of rest to, to bump him down. Cause they really believe like the 34 mark is ideal, but then they did it the other night. Uh, I can't remember which game it was, but then there like wasn't whistles for a long time. So it ended up janking up the rotations to the point they had to start him in the second quarter and it looked pretty good. And it was him with some spacing shooters. And I think they were like, maybe let's try some of these combinations where it's him out there at the start of the second quarter against some second units. And it's Bielitsa and Porter spreading the floor. And it's these like younger, worse second units on what has been bad teams just cannot guard that type of spacing and shooting. And they've gone on little mini runs. And I think they've just maybe gone to him and been like, hey, let's just try some combinations. And probably, I, I don't know that they voice it to him, but I think he knows he has the autonomy at any point to be like, back to what I want. <laughs> you know, yeah. if he says, look, I want to do my rotation tonight. You know, and he's built up that trust over time because Steve Kerr knows that Steph doesn't, like if Steph's complaining about something, he really feels strongly about it. He's not just complaining to complain. So that's my guess. They're just, they want like lineup data, basically, I think. I think it's to get him with a second unit because Kerr does seem to light up when you, you know, like, hey, can you know, thought of him with the elite supporter, those spacing and other guys who can maybe create some shots and, and that's just going to help Seth, it's going to help everybody. I do think there's been some contemplation by the staff that this second unit with Jordan Poole, uh, although they're playing stuff with Jordan Poole in that second unit sometimes, which is interesting. They're looking at the second unit combination, and Steph is obviously the solve. He's the solution for everything for them. One best, two or three best players in the league, and at the possible sacrifice of his rhythm, which is pretty important, they're looking at where else they can plug him in, and, and that's a little different for him. I don't think it actually cuts down his minutes because you end up starting him in the second quarter anyway. So then, like if it's really going good in the second quarter, you're, you're you're playing him almost the entire second quarter, so you're not really you're not cutting minutes there. I did a story. This would have been Durant's first season. I talked about Durant. Steph and Kerr about the stagger because that was a story in their first year like you know why are you not you have two of the greatest players ever stagger their minutes so you have one of them on the floor at all times but it was a very weird balance because I had covered Durant in Oklahoma City and Durant was a entire first quarter player sit the first six minutes Westbrook at the time was first nine sit for the sixth pocket you know last nine essentially and you know that was always a story with the stagger and Brooks but anyways I talked to Duran about it talked to Steve about it talked to Steph about it and they were jock uh, jockeying around KD's minutes a bunch and trying to find his new routine because you know he was the new guy this was this franchise he was joining and, and he was the one kind of saying he'd sacrifice experimentation on his minutes to, to try to find the right balance because it within that article I talked to Steph about it and he was very adamant this is my rhythm this is my routine I hate coming in out in out and again as we've talked about he's not that vocal about much so when he is vocal about something you know he really really feels strongly about it and overall I do like some of the lineup combinations that that they're trying to find him in and I get it early in the season and they are winning but in general because Steph feels so strongly about it from a rhythmic standpoint, I don't think it's a good idea long term to have him coming in and out of the game. I think it's I think it should be entire first and third, and then in important games get him back at the eight minute mark, in non important games or less important six minute mark. And I just think that's what it should be. And if you find lineup combinations in these next in this next month that you like, just fit those lineup combinations into his pattern. You know what I mean? Maybe that's your late first quarter lineup. But that's just what I'd say. I'd agree with that. I, I think they're definitely looking at some things. I wonder if it's part of it is like, okay, when Wiseman's back, and then especially if Clay's back, how do we want guys to be playing? Who do we want together with that? 
it is interesting. I mean, they just they haven't done it like this, and to do it now, uh, again, as we say, nine and one helps all things, but it's just you know he's thirty four and he's having a renaissance and he's been as good as almost as ever, and then you start tweaking. It is an interesting time to do this, and we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, and again, Steph is not you know he's not hiding it. This is not his preferred way. And then he scores 50. So maybe it's going to become, you know, like, who knows? Like, that, that, those things always help. Tim, if they lose by 25 in Brooklyn and Steph has it's a not, bad game, yeah, being yanked good. in and out of the game, yeah, and I ask him not. post-game, <laughs> did, the, did your rotation pattern screw with your rhythm today? What, like, what's going to be the story post-game? And then it will not happen that way anymore. They're going to go back to the regular rotation. You know, again, all things are adjustable. Kerr is as open about that as anybody. And even said what he said pregame. And then he's like, hey, I got it. You know, maybe I should have been clearer about this. Like, we are messing around with Steph here a little bit. Uh, but again, that's Steph, right? I mean, he he's okay with it. And, you know, he'll let you know if he doesn't love it. But he's never going to say, this shall not happen. Not, not to Steph Curry's team. He just doesn't do it that way. That's the greatness of him. That's what he means to his franchise. And sometimes they can forget about it because he's so easy to deal with. He's not high maintenance. But we'll see. It's just curious. The logic of it is interesting to me. And the timing is interesting. And, you know, maybe it really, really works. Maybe it doesn't. They'll probably go back and forth with it a couple times. But I don't think it actually cuts his minutes down. Like, you know, and I know Curry said that. You do the math, and he's still playing. And he might even play more because then he can't really come out in the second quarter. Because if things are going great in the second quarter, you're taking him out, you're keeping him in. So then, actually, he's playing three more minutes than he would have normally. So, again, these are details. Yeah, these are rotation details. But it's with Steph, if it deals with Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean, well, you saw it yesterday where Steph was hot to start the fourth, and they were chasing the blowout to try to get him out of the game. There was a moment where there was like six minutes left. He was still in the game. And if he had played the final six, he was going to get like 41 minutes. And like Steve Kerr does not want to do that in the regular season. But, you know, it ended up they got him out because he blew him out. But if, if Atlanta went on a mini run right there, you got to keep Steph in, obviously. And then that would have like Kerr probably would have been mad at himself post game for allowing Steph to play 41 regulation minutes. That's my point. It actually, I think, leads you to possibly playing Steph more. So I don't buy that we want to cut Steph's minutes because it actually doesn't work out that way when you really look at it. And people say, oh, you know, maybe because they'll just blow him out and not get him out. Actually, he's playing fewer minutes in the third quarter then. So you're not, you know, the odds of blowing teams out before the fourth quarter decrease. There's something to do with combinations with this one. Uh, it isn't just about decreasing Stephon minutes again because it, it encourages playing more. And then you go OT and he's playing 46 minutes. Like there's something there. We'll figure it out eventually, probably right on this podcast, but I don't think we've quite nailed well, it. Well, we've yet. figured out Marcus Thompson's rotation. Marcus's rotation changed. Marcus's rotation changed. We took him out the- for basically <laughs> the entire third and almost the entire fourth quarter. We've bringing him back to close. Marcus, you're here to close out the podcast, essentially. What's your final point, MT? Dynasties, the 10 GOAT teams that changed the NBA forever is available wherever books are sold. Marcus is his own entity. He's just like his own operation. He's living his own He's world. He's currently wearing He's not- a sweatshirt that's labeling himself as a legend. This is actually a labeling hustle legend, but we'll go we just, with we it. We just have to follow his lead. We follow his tempo. We just go wherever he goes. For the listeners to know, I've been up since 4.30. This is book promo tour set up by the publishers. So I've been talking to radio stations and podcasts since 4.30. And I forgot I had one at 10.40. So my bad. 
<laughs> it's all good. Close us out. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we we ready. We, we we've been talking for about fifteen minutes or so. Wol- so wolves yeah, bulls. I'll just say this: wolves bulls closing this homestand. We've talked about the different offensive tests that the the improved offensive tests. You know, they got to face a Towns Anthony Edwards Russell offense. Now they they're not playing that well right now. They're three and six, but there, there's a lot of offensive talent on the floor. Wednesday they got to go against. How Ed- soon is Kerr putting GP two in to guard? D'Angelo Russell. How quickly <laughs> he should put him into guard Edwards, honestly. Start. But I think yeah. they uh, they want to uh, you know let Russell not have a good night. Uh, and then Friday, you know, DeRozan, Vucevic, uh, Lonzo, like a pretty good Chicago team. So it's a fun little close. Just beat the Nets. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they did. This is a good homestand. The teams aren't. What happened to your audio, MT? You come back and your audio is all all messed up. But you're, I don't know. you're I just committing no everything to the book tour. Everything's the book, book tour. tour. Everything's for the book tour. Wrap it up, MT. Wrap it up. All right. Yeah, we're out of here. I got more books to sell. <laughs> I got more interviews to do. We got to go. This is thing. It's not here. For Kawakami and Slater, we are out.